Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, you got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. I want to welcome you uh, once again. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, again, uh, many welcomes and hope you'll find uh, this podcast informative, interesting, all that kind of fun stuff, maybe even entertaining. Who knows? Um, uh, you know, certainly when I have co-hosts, unfortunately, I'm very fortunate to have uh, my frequent co-host, uh, Jake Galdo, with me. Uh, it definitely tends to be more entertaining when him and I are talking, so that, that's a good thing. So welcome again once uh, more to, to Game Changers. If you've been a listener for a while, please uh, continue to. Either way, if you like it, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, like it, like us wherever you do that. Please spread the word so more and more people can know about this. Um, for uh, for those of you who are pharmacists uh, um, who are listening, we, you do have the opportunity to uh, get CE uh, for this program, if you just head on over to CE Impact, who is kind of to sponsor this podcast, uh, they have multiple great programs out there for, for continuing education, but you can certainly sign up uh, uh, for continue, getting continuing education for, for uh, Game Changers and get a little bit of CE every time you're uh, driving to work or on the treadmill or where, wherever you listen to your podcast. So um, please, please do that and get a little credit for listening to me blather on. So uh, today uh, I have, uh, uh, again, the the luck of having Jake Galdo, who's, who's been a, a guest uh, with us several times, a community pharmacist, and, a, and he also works at CE Impact. So Jake, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. And uh, we're going to talk today about something that I think, again, for the community pharmacists in particular, something that is probably a thorn in their side. Uh, and we're going to we're going to talk about this kind of as, as a sideways thing. But uh, even my limited experience in community pharmacy, I, the the thorn, in, in, and I know in a lot of pharmacist sides, has always been what I what I've always heard called generic itis. Right? You know, we always have the patients who are like, well, I have to have the name brand. Well, okay. Well, why? You know, I mean, the the generic is just as good as the name brand. You know, it's a, and in fact, what many patients and many provi- uh, providers don't even know is that often the generic is actually made at the exact same plant by the exact same company as the name brand. You know, but but nope, can't do it. No, I, those generics aren't any good. And you know, part of that I think is 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 driven by you know what people feel. You know, name brand obviously they must be making making it better. You know, you know, and people make comparisons to you know gro- you know grocery food. Well, you know the the store brand isn't as good as the name brand, stuff like that. Um, I don't think it's helped that over the years, there has always been some confusion in, in narrow therapeutic index drugs like levothyroxine. And I think older listeners remember the remember the controversy that came across when L-thyroxine first came on the market. And could you use name brand Synthroid? No, you couldn't. And, you know, if those who remember, uh, this was uh, a, a big turning point, I think, for investigators having control of their own studies because uh, a PharmD from, from UCF, Betty Dong, actually did a study that found that there was no difference in bioavailability between Synthroid and, and generic comparators, and unfortunately, her her study was sponsored by the makers of Synthroid, and they forbade forbade her from from publishing the data, and she actually had to go to court 
to get the to get the, the 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 study published. And since then, I think most investigators pretty much insist that no matter what the results are, we get to publish the data. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so what we're going to talk about today, and and Jake has has extensive experience in community pharmacy, is a couple of papers that kind of address this kind of sideways. You know, so so we still have a, quite a few people who are on you know name brand medications where a generic exists, right? And and there's always reasons for that, and 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 you know that that's kind of beyond the scope of this. But what 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 is that cost of that? You know, what what are the costs that are associated with even the small percentage of patients who are on uh, brand name medications? And um, part of that can just be again kind of the generic itis. I have to be on the brand. Part of it, of course, is one of the strategies that drug companies sometimes use to maintain their patent life, and that's to to combine medications, right? So we have fixed dose combination medications where you know the generic you know yes would be two pills and all that other stuff and that's something we have to keep in mind but you know it, it, it they're obviously you're, you're paying a premium for having all that in one pill so we're going to take take a look at a couple of studies and 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 jake i i think maybe having you kind of go through them and and we kind of talk as we go along so the first paper we're going to talk about is is a paper that came out a couple of years ago by uh sax at al and this was this was the the combination medication study and this actually did get some some lay media buzz I, I remember seeing you know a thing on it in in my local newspaper and, and things like that so I mean I think there was some some buzz about the fact that that there was a study that took a look at Medicare spending and brand name combinations so Jake you want to talk a little bit about the paper yeah that sounds perfect and thanks Jeff you know what I what I love is when you and I were kind of brainstorming what did we want to talk about and I said what about you know, Medicare spending on brand name drugs. This was the article that jumped to mind to you. So when you're talking about how this was in the lay public, people see this. I think it's important to point out. I think it's important to, to recognize that this has been out for about two years now, but right. it's still kind of gaining attention, still in front of everybody's uh, uh, face. And so what's kind of fun about what this article did is it looked primarily at Medicare beneficiaries. It only looked at about 70% of beneficiaries, but Medicare. And what they did is they said, all right, there's about 30 drugs or so out there, and we're going to group them into three buckets. Bucket one is this brand name medication is comprised of multiple products which are generically available at identical doses. Bucket two is we have this uh, brand name medication, multiple products within it, and the products are generically available but at different doses. And then bucket three is, hey, it's a brand name medication with multiple products within it, and we have other options available that are generically available. And so they kind of said, well, how much money are we really spending? And they kind of broke it down and said, if we were to take all 30 of those drugs and switch them over to an equivalent version, be it the multiple products as just generics, as therapeutic substitution, anything like that, they identified a top-line savings of potentially about $925 million. And I'm going to let that kind of seep in right now because 925 sounds like a lot. 925 million. It's awesome. But what jumps out to me and what I find really fascinating is that total U.S. spending on medications is only $328 billion. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden we're talking about this difference between M millions and B billions. And that's when it gets really kind of crazy because I think I think I did the math while we were kind of playing around with this. And this accounts to about 0.28%. So if we change all of these brand name drugs within Medicare to the generically available medications, we would save 0.28%, which doesn't really sound like a lot. No, it doesn't. You know. 
But, uh, you know, the point, of course, is, you know, it, you know, all savings is good savings. And, and in our profession, I think in particular, you know, if if there was a way to 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 to, you know, claim some of that money for, you know, you know, if, if there was some sort of of program in place where, hey, you know, every time the pharmacist, you know, talks to the patient and yes, they're willing and able to, to, to be switched to the equivalent dose generic, even though it's two pills versus one pill or, you know, you know, gee, this was 35 milligrams in the, in the name brand, but they come as generically 25 milligrams. Is there really that big of a difference? You know, if, you know, as with so many things in the world of pharmacy, if, if, you know, if, if we were able to, to go to Medicare as, as a profession and say, look, okay, yeah, this is, this is not that much. I get it. But every dime counts, especially now. Nowadays, you know, could you know, would we be able to get X amount of that back, you know, into the profession and in, in, into into you know, uh, especially you know, independent pharmacists, you know, and you know, I think that would be pretty interesting. So you're right. I mean, you know, overall, it's, it's a relatively small amount, um, and it's only 70% of the beneficiary. So I mean, there might be a little more if you take a look at the 30%, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Something you and I had talked about, and you'd mentioned is is you know, now in 2020, and you know, we've had it, we've had, like, for example, bio similar glargy now for a few years and i understand that it's not certainly cheap by any by any measure and and i know a lot of insurance companies have pushed their their payers or push their physicians to prescribe only the you know basiglar uh, uh, biosimilar but i still see plenty of people who come into the hospital on on name bland, name brand glargine and uh, and and so my my guess is you know you know what would that cause cost savings be especially when you're talking the millions of patients who are on insulin yeah, or even if we throw in the biosimilars like um, adalubumab or some of those oh, yes. medications that we use for rheumatoid arthritis. Right. I mean, those are the number one most expensive or money-generating medications in the country. I can only imagine how much the savings would be if we were to kind of look at that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, 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 you know, I've, I work, I've been fortunate to work with, with some of my gastroenterologists here in, in, in town and, and, you know, that there's, as you might imagine, been extreme reluctance to go to, to some of the biosimilar, you know, and infliximab or adalidumab type drugs, but we've got solid data from Europe who of course didn't have any problem going to these as soon as they came out, you know, cause they recognize the savings, right. you know, that, that there, there, there really hasn't been a problem. And so, you know, while I, while I see, I see the, you know, I've I've had conversations with 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 GI docs, so, you know, the last five or six years, and they're like, yeah, but you know, it isn't the same drug. It isn't like a generic, right? It isn't like this little tiny molecule that you were able to make the exact chemical, you know, identical thing from. It's a different protein, and you know, yes, it is a different protein, but but uh, every time there's a different batch of the name brand or innovator generic or innovator product, it's a it's a different drug because we're not that good at making proteins. And I think when you sit down and explain to prescribers that you know, batch A of name brand infliximab is is chemically and 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 structurally different than than lot B, and it's the exact same thing when you're giving a giving the the biosimilar. Yeah, I mean that you know they're, they're a little more less, uh, interested in doing that. And you're right, the cost savings in Europe has been terrific. I mean they've saved forty percent or more on patients receiving these these uh, uh, biologic meds. So yeah, no, I I totally agree with you on that. Well, I, I mean I love it, and it it reminds me of this idea of the hot spotter, which really came to fame years ago, almost like a decade at this point from an article that Atal Gawande wrote, uh, talking about finding the areas of high healthcare utilization and focusing in on resources there to make them better. Now, as much as I love uh, Dr. Gawande and all the work that he does, and I love this idea of hotspotters, I would be remiss to say that there was a randomized controlled trial earlier this year, New England Journal, that uh, debunked this idea. 
but the fact remains when when it when we look at the the medication utilization we're talking about biosimilars or these high cost drugs i really think that that's an opportunity to hone in on because it's actually kind of interesting we can see you know taking our three buckets again um that bucket that says that we have this brand name medication with multiple products and the the products within it are generically available but at different doses one medication represents 90% of that savings Wow. And so, it's, again, I like the idea of that cost of that hotspotter where we just go to the, the high ones and make a little adjustment to make it better. Right. Right. And, you know, and and as you pointed out, you know, a lot of these medications aren't you know going to be in the fast movers of the average community pharmacy. You know, that's OK. You know, you know, you know, if you can target these these, you know, you know, small groups of patients who are spending the most money. Right. I mean, and, and, and that's true, I think, across the board with 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 Medicare and, and all drug spending is 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 that we've got these these you know, hot spots, if you will, of, of patients who are, are the are ones who are really the ones who are spending the most money, and, you know, again, because they have, you know, they have diseases where they need expensive medications. That's great. But there's also many ways we can we can treat those diseases with the, with the, some of the solutions that you've kind of talked about. Now, of course, and you and I talked about this as well, you know, there are patients who, who you know, they can't handle a higher uh, pill burden and they're having a difficult time dealing with the pill burden they have. Um, and of course, you know, with everything going on here, you know, cost is kind of relative to patients when we're talking about uh, co-pays, right? Exactly. I think that's a, that's a really good point, Jeff, because um, it's interesting from a community perspective the patient doesn't see the total cost. They see what they have to pay. Right. And if all of a sudden I have three copays versus one copay, from a patient's perspective, that's that, that's three times as much. I want the one copay. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I, again, I, you know, as always, you know, there's not going to be a one size fits all. And, and again, the expertise of the community pharmacist, I think is, is really important here. They know their patients. And if, you know, Mrs. Smith just, you know, she's like, she's already taking 97 pills because of the 87 disease states she has, you know, going from one pill to three pills and two or three of her things is just going to make it that much harder to, to, to be adherent. And yeah, I mean, you know, if, especially if, if their co-pays are, are pretty pricey, if their coinsurances, yeah, it, it, it becomes comes to the point where I just I just soon pay for the for the, the one higher copay for the one brand and the three slightly smaller copays for the generics and it yeah it costs me more out of my pocket so yeah absolutely I think those are those are all all pretty important things as well so um so then uh, I think that you know that was a paper when we uh, as as Jake points out we had kind of he had had this idea and we were both talking about two different papers we found out because Jake had just seen a paper that has just in fact it's I don't think it's actually officially been published yet I think it's still still in in uh, 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 the preprint in JAMA that looks at, at again, kind of taking a look at, at LDL protein drug, cholesterol-lowering drugs among Medicare beneficiaries. And this was, again, that's really hot off the press. You, you, you really can't, you really can't get anything more, more recent. And, uh, but it, again, it kind of takes a look at this, you know, what are we paying name brand uh, for cholesterol-lowering drugs and Medicare beneficiaries? So Jake, you want to walk us through that paper as well? Yeah, of course. Uh, so this one, again, as, as Jeff pointed out, came out a couple weeks ago. And what's really exciting to me about this is it's a really nice parallel to the one that we just talked about. Again, we're looking at Medicare beneficiaries. We're looking at generic utilization versus spending uh, for brand name and generic medications. Um, and what's, what's really neat to me is all of a sudden, you know, in our last article, we talked about, hey, we got all these brand names. Let's switch them to generic where appropriate and available, and we can save maybe if we're lucky, a billion dollars. Well, then we started to look at this paper, which focused just on a single grouping of medications, the LDL, 
uh, lowering medications. And this includes our stands, but also some of our new ones like the PCSK9 inhibitors. Mm -hmm. And what they saw is that there is an increase in utilization by 23% to 25 million beneficiaries. So we're having more people use this grouping of drugs, but because of generics becoming available, our cost or expenditures have decreased 46% to only 3.3 billion. <laughs> I laugh because it's only 3.3 yeah. billion and that's drop that 46%. It's a, it is, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. And that's 46% reduction, but that's B with billion, which is right. so different from the M with million we just looked at. I agree, and and again, pointing out that that you know you know when you, when you're talking you know millions upon millions of patients you know taking you know uh, uh, statins in particular, but some of these other drugs like like Zetia, uh, yeah, I mean you know it, it it's it's kind of a you know economy of scale where where you know once once one of these major blockbuster drugs goes generic, the the expenditures plummet, not necessarily because these are, you know, unbelievably expensive drugs by themselves, but when you just literally have millions upon millions of beneficiaries taking it, that savings, you know, gets carved out really, really quick, I think. So, so you had mentioned when we talked about this, that, 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 you know, if we if we did this quicker, if if there wasn't this long lag between you know when the drug becomes generic and then the the prescriber actually switches people over, that can that can help us as well. So what what did you see in the paper on that? Yeah, so the the paper called that out, and I thought that was really really interesting. Where if we switch to generic therapies faster, like when it's available, switch over to it, we can contribute to getting an additional 2.5 billion in savings. Again, that's 2.5 times more than we saw in that previous trial. So we could, right. you know, play around with therapy for 30 drugs, or we could just like start using generic therapy faster and save 2.5 billion. Right. So again, economies of scale, and and you know, going back to to your point about hotspots, maybe the hotspot isn't the unbelievably expensive drug that six people are on, you know, as opposed to the you right. know, kind of you know moderately expensive drug that uh, that two hundred people are on. So yeah, that, that that definitely that definitely you know makes sense to me. Reading the paper, I thought it interesting. You know, it, it, you know, statins, of course, have long have a long history of of benefits, and you know, that you you know, you we could do an entire you know game changer just talking about all. The benefits they have and, and stuff like that, and you know, try as they might, a lot of these newer medications have just not really been shown to be you know quite as beneficial, right? So I mean, you know, uh, you know, Zetia, you know, had had a slight benefit, but you know, I remember when when uh, I forget the name of the study that came out that that looked at the it was additive on to to statin therapy and found you know a, a slight benefit in things like MI reduction, and it ended up being something you know uh, you know like it would be fairly expensive to to to, to add that drug for the slight decrease, and that's even more so with the PCSK9 drugs. You know that that they're so expensive that you know when that paper came out, um, I think we calculated it was going to be something like you know for every for every MI that you'd avoid, it'd be something like a million dollars of, of PCSK9 drug to avoid one MI. And you know at some point, somebody at 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 a way higher level than I think you or I needs to make those kind of decisions and just <laughs> say you know hey I, you know I don't want anybody to have a heart attack, but you know at, at, at some point you know, we have to kind of kind of look at cost effectiveness here. So now the point that I think you made in this paper too is that is that you know the same the same 
you know, criticisms about being patient focused. Wars wasn't in the study either. Again, they just looked at looked at, at cost, right? So, um, copay, you know, can be a, a, a big driver. And, and you'd mentioned in, you know, when we were talking about this, this, the same thing that if the if the copay is low for the patient, they don't care what 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 the overall cost to Medicare is as long as their copay is low. And and so I think I think many insurers are pretty good about doing that alignment, but I suspect that there's still some misalignment. And and you had mentioned that you'd seen that as well. So so kind of you know wrapping things up. You know what 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 are kind of your takeaways? And I mean you know what what can the, what can especially community pharmacists who I think are right there you know in 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 the crosshairs for good and for for bad. I think sometimes you know about you know this this right. you know gen, the, the generic itis that 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 we sometimes see. What what can we do? Do you think? I think for me the the biggest thing to realize is that all of healthcare is really patient centered healthcare. And we want shared decision-making. We want the patient part of the conversation. And I think what's really powerful for me is when I take the time, and, you know, we, we have chairs in our, our, our quote-unquote lobby and of our, our pharmacy, right? And mm-hmm. if I just walk out from behind the counter uh, and I socially distance, sit next to them nowadays, <laughs> yes. Yes. and, and um, just say, hey, this is what's going on, and be very transparent and open. And recognize that sometimes the patient's copay is what's going to drive that decision-making process, and that's okay, but mm-hmm. still empower them to, to really know it. Because even if their copay is less, they might get to the donut hole faster from right. some of those higher-cost drugs. Right. You know, years ago, I remember dispensing a brand-name Lovastatin ER. Total cost was over $350, $400. Patient's copay was a dollar. They think they're doing great because they're spending a dollar. But I mean, they're going to get into the donut hole and then maybe, you know, come right now, October, November, not be able to afford any of their other medications. I think that that's where we can really have that conversation. I agree. And and again, yet another argument for, you know, allowing, you know, pharmacists the time to sit down and, and, and speak with their patients, you know, if 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 incentivized to do so, you know, uh, you know, one could only imagine, you know, though, you know, if you could sit down and have those conversations, especially in the Part D patients, because, you know, many of them, unfortunately, just don't know when they're close to the donut hole until they show up one day. And the 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 drug that was, you know, two bucks previously is now five hundred dollars. And they're like, what? What happened? You're making a mistake here. And it's like, no, we're not making a mistake. You're in the donut hole. I'm sorry to, you know, sorry to say that. And, and my, my physicians on, on, on that side of the fence, you know, they, you know, that's when they're like, yeah, my patient just kind of went, he went without insulin for two months because he couldn't afford it. Or he went without this drug for three months because he was in the donut hole and he just couldn't afford it. And had we thought ahead and said, well, you know, if we, if we, you know, yes, I know this is a cheap copay, but if the patient pays a little bit more now, they don't hit their copay for another two more or their donut hole for another two months you know, yeah, that, that can make a huge difference at the patient level. There's just no, no doubt about that. So, so yeah, no, I think, I think that, that, you know, there, there's, there's the need for more research in this. I think certainly, you know, commercial insurance, which of course isn't, is the other big player here. I would assume that, that a lot of, of insurance have done their own private analysis on this. I'd be surprised if they hadn't, right. be, you know, because they have to know that data, but it'd be sure interesting, you know, if they could let, especially again, you know, community-based pharmacists kind of in, in on, in on some of that and say, look, we can help you, you know, help, help, you know, help us help you without, not at the point of a gun, you know, I mean, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't force us, you know, because of decreasing rebates or don't force us because of, of, you know, decreasing reimbursements to do X, Y, and Z so we can get, you know, you know, the, you know, the star rating so that, you know, your clawback is only 5% less than it was previously. I mean, all that other <laughs> stuff. It's like, 
you know, is, is there a way, you know, is there a way we could kind of go right to the far, to the insurance companies, you know, and, and dare I, dare I say it, maybe even, you know, you know, you know, take a step away from the PBMs and just say, look, we can help you. If you let us help you, we will help you, you know, so know, it's just, it's pretty strange. So any last minute thoughts for you on this? No, I think you summed it up really nicely. I think, you know, more information, the more that we dig into this is always good. And it, you know, it really helps us improve the quality of care that we deliver. I agree. I agree entirely. So, well, uh, uh, you know, we'll do we'll do just some final things here. But before we do, a a quick uh, note and a quick uh, a word from CE Impact. Again, uh, they have some some terrific uh, um, uh, programs out there. So head on over to their website, and you can hear about them a little bit right now. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So I'm grateful, as always, to Jake for, you know, making, having this idea and, and, and pointing out some good articles that I learned a lot on. And, and, and fortunately, his expertise can help, help us walk through this. You know, the bottom line is, is you know, every little bit helps. You know, uh, uh, healthcare costs aren't going anywhere but up. And I think, you know, uh, pharmacists in particular are, are, are in a good position, you know, if we have the time. And, and, and again, if, we, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're reimbursed for, for using our expertise to help pick, you know, um, um, uh, the most uh, appropriate medications, and that does include costs, there are going to be times where for XYZ reasons that, you know, the name brand is the right drug for the patient. But in many, many cases, it was, oh, I forgot. Oh, the patient I just, just doesn't want to do generics and I don't want to talk to him about it because I don't have the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You you know, we can help with that. And I, and I think more information and more research is needed on this to help, you know, what tools can, can the pharmacist have to help kind of get that done. So, well, that's it for this week of, of Game Changers. Um, we, again, as always, appreciate you listening. Again, like us wherever you like um, uh, your, your podcasts, uh, spread the word. Again, head to CE Impact and get that, that uh, CE for listening to us. Uh, and uh, a, a quick, another shameless plug for me, um, I do produce electronic music under the name Prophet of Jupiter and uh, my EP drops on 925 so if you like electronic music it's a variety of stuff uh, head on over take a listen see what you think next week uh, we will be talking about some more stuff so please come on back and thanks for listening remember uh, that uh, time flies i don't know where it's going but the most important day is today so have a good week